So we're going to we're continuing Ecclesiastes. We, we did a couple uh, introductions, and today we're going to look at, well, we're going to begin to look at that first section in Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Uh, 1, 1 to 11. I suspect we may only get to verse 8, but that's okay. So please give your attention now. Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 1, verse starting at verse 1 through verse 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around it goes, it goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea. But the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye cannot, is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. So far the reading of God's word. <clears throat> May his, he add his blessing to it as we hear um, it expounded now. Well, if you remember, we, um, I mentioned a few weeks ago at the beginning of uh, the morning sermon, I quoted Westminster Catechism, chap, uh, sorry, Westminster Catechism and answer, question and answer one, what is the chief end of man? Uh, and of course, most of you are familiar with that answer. It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, but if we think about what is the chief end of man um, for people in this world who hold to a naturalistic, materialistic, secular worldview, it is to glorify the self and to enjoy the self until you die. Right? I think that properly sums up really the, the, the futility of life apart from Christ. To glorify the self and to enjoy the self until you die is the chief end for them. And it really is an honest appraisal, um, fitting for our day. <clears throat> and this really fits in with, with the sentiment that Ecclesiastes is trying to show for us, um, and quite bluntly, frankly, life apart from Christ. Um, but by way of review, uh, the word kohelet is the word uh, in Hebrew, it's the, the name of the book, uh, Ecclesiastes, and it's the author as well. Kohelet is the preacher, uh, the preacher. Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature, remember? Um, it discusses covenant life, right? Life in a fallen world, life in, in tension, life with tension of the not yet completed and consummated creation in which we find ourselves. And it drives home the reality of the futility of life apart from God, uh, life merely under the sun, right? The horizontal life, life under the common curse, it deals with people and attitudes that if they believed in God at all, saw him as distant as they lived their lives only on this horizontal level, life under the sun. <clears throat> and so from this view, the author makes clear that all is vanity, all is vanity. And that's a, a key word in this book, of course, right? And so what is that word? What does it mean? Um, vanity means mist or breath. It's meaninglessness. It's futility. And it speaks of the futility of life. 
And so what does the preacher tell us about life under the sun uh, here in these verses this evening? Um, Well, I contend that there's three things that he uh, tells us about life under the sun. And that is first that there is nothing gained under the sun. Verses 3 through 8. There's nothing gained under the sun. And then secondly, there's nothing new under the sun. In verses 8 to 10. And then that there is nothing remembered under the sun. Nothing gained, nothing new, and nothing remembered under the sun. And then we'll look finally, <clears throat> probably next time we meet, at what, the, what does the Bible tell us about life in the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ? Because that's the contrast, and that makes all the difference in the world, as you know. Uh, but first, uh, uh, by way of reminder, um, remember we talked about some books are very challenging uh, in Scripture to read. Right? Paul's letter to the Romans um, contains some complex doctrines uh, that you know, are very thick and very rich and very pregnant with meaning glorious though they may be and in fact we read right we have to consider that if if the apostle peter tells us in his epistle under the inspiration of the holy spirit that some things in paul's writings are difficult to understand then it makes sense that we would struggle with certain books of the bible as well right and so ecclesiastes is a book that's full with filled with difficult territory um in in our fast-paced culture in our fast-paced lives um, it doesn't help us, right, uh, the, those, the, the lives that we live and the speed with which life goes by. And so it's very useful and very helpful for us to slow down and to meditate and to reflect on covenant history of our Bible and see how things fit. And the wisdom literature demands this for us to understand it. Uh, Ecclesiastes can be challenging at times. Other times it can seem fairly clear and be poetically balanced, right? After all, uh, some of you are old enough to remember the song, from the 60s, turn, 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 right? The, 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 the birds turned into this, took the verse from Ecclesiastes, turned it into a, a hit song, right? Everything there is a season. Um, other passages mystify and challenge us. And so we must come to Ecclesiastes with a proper approach. We must come with, um, uh, if we come with the wrong approach, we mentioned this last time as well, with the works-based righteousness view, the book will make no sense at all to us. Right? And what is that view? that view? That's the view that gives us a simple formula that says if you obey, you'll be blessed. And if you disobey, you'll be punished. Right? Scripture is faithful to the reality of the complexity of life. And so it's not simplistic in, 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 in that way. We must see that. Because a flat, work-based righteousness view does not explain someone like Job. Right? Someone like Job, who was a righteous man, yet still suffered horrible losses. Not to mention there's another key figure in the Bible that maybe your mind's going to, who was righteous yet suffered. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the wrong perspective of a work, works-based view offers no explanation of Christ, who was the perfectly righteous man who suffered everything that we suffered and more. Uh, one commentator on Ecclesiastes said this. He says, it is a gem, I'm sorry, it is a germ of the gospel that flowers in the advent of Christ. Right, and so we could, we could call this series the gospel according to Ecclesiastes, right? Because it is rich and full and finds its culmination uh, and, and its terminus really in the gospel. But Ecclesiastes is inspired by the same God who breathed out the rest of scriptures. And we have to keep that in mind. Uh, so we can only understand this book, what it says, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so this book is ultimately about wisdom, right? 
There is no simple formula for it. We talked about this last time as well. Remember, Proverbs says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be wise in his own eyes. Right? What should we do with this seemingly contradictory advice? Right? Do we answer the fool or don't we answer the fool? It calls for wisdom. Right? It calls for wisdom. It's not simple formulaic. There's wisdom that's needed. And so the Bible tells us wisdom is not simply the contemplated knowledge of old men who look like Gandalf, who smoke their pipes and stroke their beards, uh, reflecting on the mysteries of life. That is not simply what, that's not what wisdom is. According to the Bible, what is wisdom? Wisdom is ultimately found in Christ himself. In Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 says, For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so the only way to understand wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, is is to see its end point in Christ, who is indeed wisdom incarnate. Right, And we'll look at more of that next week as well, next time as well. Uh, So right up front, as we move through the various sections of Ecclesiastes... Uh, let us notice the gravity and the helplessness that the author describes, and then let us flee to Christ uh, for deliverance and redemption. So we begin <clears throat> with Ecclesiastes, and he, he starts, the, 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 the preacher starts, it opens with a statement of seemingly meaningless, seemingly hopelessness. When he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. All right, again, vanity amidst a breath. It's meaningless. It's futility. The statement seems to be filled with hopelessness. And what would lead the preacher to say something like this? Uh, he gives a number of examples to make his point. First, he says that under the sun, nothing is gained. There's nothing gained under the sun. All right, we go on and read. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? He says in verse 3. And this has been proved throughout the centuries we think about this for a moment. What does man gain by all the toil that he toils under the sun? There's always been attempts by mankind, if you study the history of the world, uh, to exhibit power, to build and exhibit power and greatness. Uh, for example, extra-biblical examples of this. Right? We could give biblical examples, the Tower of Babel, right? exerting man's greatness. Uh, but think of the Great Wall of China. Uh, the Great Wall of China. At one point, it stretched 4,000 miles, um, a great feat. Uh, during one da- dynasty, it was guarded by a million soldiers. It's like unthinkable. Uh, two to three million people died build- building the Great Wall of China, uh, and it took several centuries to finish it. And so the wall has been celebrated as one of the great accomplishments of mankind. But nothing is gained under the sun. Right? How do we reconcile that? In what way is the labor of man reduced to futility and vanity? Again, verse 3, what does man gain by the toil, by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Uh, it is this, much of the great wall has disintegrated over time. Um, and I was surprised when I read this, but literally miles of the wall vanish every year because it's just decaying, it's disappearing. Um, or we think of another of man's great accomplishments, uh, the great pyramids of Egypt. What's happened to these great pyramids? Um, Some still stand, but they're crumbling. 
the vast majority of them have either been destroyed or they're buried beneath the flood of the desert sands. Uh, they were built, as, many, as most of you probably know, as great tombs in which the Egyptian royalty would bring their stuff and it would go with them in their journey to the next world. But today they are a colossal monument of the futility of life, of life, of labor and toil, meaninglessness. Those possessions are entombed with them. They've been either lost or stolen, or they're on display in some museum, or they're indeed buried beneath the sand. So Ecclesiastes says, all is vanity. So the words of the preacher appropriately describe the futility of such massive endeavors. Um, We look at verses 4 to 8, and it says, A generation goes and a generation comes. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Think about that for a moment. No matter how much man toils and labors, he is never satisfied with what he has. There's an inborn desire for more and for satisfaction. Some of you are familiar with that quote. I think it was asked of Rockefeller. uh, The question was, how much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? And his response was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. One of the most wealthy men uh, in the country at that time for sure. But this spirit drives our economy, right? This is people of an insatiable thirst and hunger for things, for cars, for clothes, for houses, for gadgets, right? That all the latest technology, uh, especially with technology. A week ago, uh, if something's a week old, it is archaic, right? Because things come out, new things, so, so rapidly. And we are never satisfied. But under the sun... If this is all there is, then it is meaningless and it is futile. St. Augustine uh, said it well when he said, The heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. The heart is restless. It will not, be re- it will not find rest until it rests in Christ. We are created to be satisfied, not in stuff, but in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Some statistics, I was shocked uh, when I was preparing this, uh, confirmed this. There are 300,000 items in the average American home. 300,000 items in the average American home. The average size of the American home has tripled in size over the past 50 years. Uh, And still, one out of every 10 Americans rent off-site storage because they don't have enough room for their stuff. 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room in the garage to park their cars. And 32% only have room for one car. Uh, That's over half the people not using their garage for a garage. Um, The United States has more than, this is shocking as well, the United States has more than 50,000 storage facilities. That's more than five times the number of Starbucks in the country. Shocking. Uh, The average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, but plays with only 12 of them uh, daily. 238, they play with 12. I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, but... Uh, that's, that's not an 80-20% thing. Um, shopping malls in the United States outnumber high schools. Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods. In other words, items that they do not need. Yet for all of man's longing and striving and toil and work and building, nothing is really gained under the sun. That's what the preacher is telling us. Nothing is gained under the sun. It does not matter. It will not last. And really, it is not new. 
just other ways to distract, to spark attentions, to distract from anything significant or eternal, uh, to distract from facing our mortality, eternal things, to give the feeling of stimulation, uh, a false stimulation of aliveness. Nothing is gained under the sun. And we'll look at the other two points next time. Um, but for now, let us reflect on that contrast. Life under the sun, nothing is gained. But life in the sun, life in Jesus Christ, he gained everything for you. He, gave, he gained everything if you are his. Nothing is gained on the one hand, and on the other hand, everything is gained. Everything, all that his is yours if you belong to him. Most significantly, forgiveness and freedom and life with him in glory for eternity. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are indeed crushed by the words of the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And it's only in Christ that we are freed from the bondage of vanity and futility. And it's only in Christ that we know peace and rest and indeed the end of our labors. And so let us never forget the love and work of our King Jesus. And let us always see our lives and indeed all of life through the lens of who we are in him. Amen. We'll pick the rest of that up next time. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do give you praise that as you have called us and you have given us new hearts and we have fled to Christ and we are united to him, that all that is his is ours, Lord. It's beyond, beyond our ability uh, to comprehend. It is unfathomable the love that you've shown towards us in Jesus. But Lord, we praise you nevertheless. Lord, help us to never uh, lose steam in the longing to know and understand and glory and delight in your praise and to delight in our King. And so we pray, Lord, be with us now as we seek to give you praise with our voices. Lord, we pray that you would be with us for the remainder of this week until we can come again. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us and that you would, uh, uh, that you would give us strength and boldness throughout our lives, all for your glory. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.